The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Dragon's Breath, our recommended game of the week, discuss what people think when they hear educational games in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five dice placement games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McKay. What's happening, Doug? Not much. I, things have just been crazy. The, have they? Yeah, I feel like I've been running around with a chicken with its head cut off. You've got just moving, huh? Day job is out of control, busy. Game life is busy. Yeah. Family events are busy. The weather's changing. Everybody wants to get outside. It keeps teasing us. But that's good, right? Oh, you mean like when it's 37 degrees and sunshine and you think that it's spring in Wisconsin? Yeah. That sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. nice outside. And a then, little bit of that, too. Well, and then Whoa, I think 30 this, mile an hour wind and this 40 weekend degrees. it's supposed to be up to like 80 and then it'll drop down to 20 the next, For next couple of days. For your podcast weather report, Doug Gotecki. Yeah, I do what I can. <laughs> but when spring hits, it hits. Right for those three days of spring here yeah, in the we Midwestern don't, United States, we don't States. get that that season. <laughs> yeah. So no, what I'm else good. is new? Well, I I got some good games to the table uh, this week with my family, and I talked about it last week. We've been playing a lot of games, and and we're at a point where we were everyone knows enough games where we can kind of just rotate them through, which is kind of fun. Um, you want me to talk about those now? Or are we in that part of the segment? We are in that part. Okay. Of, and, and my busyness has alluded to the fact that I have played no games. Okay, well, I'll, I can carry the weight in this segment. Although I have uh, been rifling through, after the kids go to bed, the Marvel United minis. Oh, you've so been painting those. What are you okay. down to? What's our real time? What's the magic number? 14 left to finish the original Kickstarter. So you got three done in the last week or five done in the last week? Three. Okay. And 114 coming in shortly whenever the, the second Kickstarter arrives. Sounds like you might need to do some painting in your sleep, Doug. But I think I got the... I, I have to count up how many there are in the original, but it's got to be in the upper 80s. Oh, good. So That'll be good. <laughs> so so we're pounding through those. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, in the wee hours of the evening. So, all right, let's get back to games. Yeah, we played Incubation, and I know we've talked about this a few times, but my six-year-old that loves this game. It's a dragon-hatching game with a little rotating dial, but we taught it to my wife and played it. So played it three-player. Um, that, was, that was fun. And then I don't know if you recall from episode 11, Dream Home was a yes. recommended game of the week. We played some Dream Home. Uh, great game. And if you want to hear more about Dream Home, you can go and listen to episode 11. And then, Doug, are you ready? I know you you mentioned how busy you are. Yes. And I appreciate all that you do for Game Schooler with time, <laughs> treasure, and talent and putting together the run sheets. But I have a new segment for you. Kay. Are you ready? Yeah, let me just Get, press the button for new music. Uh, no. Oh, wait. No, I don't have any prepped. This is called... The Recommended Game of the Week Revisited. So this 
past week, just the day before yesterday, I did a deep dive into summer camp. And if you're interested more, if you want to hear more about summer camp, you just listen to episode 31. But this past week, I played the game for the first time with my nine-year-old, Margaret. And I just wanted to share with our listeners some of the highlights, knowing that we talked about this game about six months ago, and the game's kind of been on the shelf. But with just doing Phil Walker Harding Baron Parks last week, the summer camp was calling my name. It was summer camp, Michael, summer camp. So we got it, and I want to just talk quickly about a few skills that came out from the game. Purchasing. We don't have a game schooler definition for that, but it was very clear that Margaret was getting better at purchasing as the game went on. And from that nine-year-old sense of, well, I have $4, and how can I get that to work? Or, you know, the currency that you get yeah. at the end of the turn. And then comboing as you get cards together, because it's a, it's a junior deck builder. You're putting cards together. You're taking your campers on a journey. There's little racing elements in there. And I could really see my kiddo with that, if this, then that, working in that game. Um, and that's just a, a quick review reminder that we did a 20-minute segment on summer camp great game readily available for 25 ish dollars and if you want to hear more about that go check out episode 31 but i just wanted to touch base on that throw a new segment idea at you on the air just game schooler is is this going to be a reoccurring thing or when it happens I think it's when it when it happens and we surprise each other with it, right? Because we have multiple kids, we have multiple game groups, and so if you have remember, kind of like a remember when. Yeah, you I'm know? surprising you. There's five thousand dollars under your chair right now. Is there? No. <laughs> That's, this podcast is all about surprises. Yeah, I want to throw a surprise at you. Go ahead. I want to talk about a game that we talked about a couple weeks ago that it was going to be getting played. And I just wanted to give a follow-up update to our listeners. And that was Meadow was yes. an acquired game, and we played it. Yes. And I don't want to do a full deep dive of what we didn't like, but just kind of some initial thoughts on that. Anything from you, or do you want me to get this ball rolling? I think you better take the lead on this, and I'll follow your step partner. I will be the goose to your maverick, but I could go in a very different direction than you are intending, so why don't you finish the surprise? Okay, so we played Meadow, and Meadow was the same, you know, you brought up Dream Home, same design team behind, was it the exact same designers, or is it the same Same studio? Same Same designer, yep. So it it got a lot of buzz in, in tying into our last week's episode about the cult of the new. Got a ton of buzz. Was excited to get it. Went out of print for a little. Well, I shouldn't say ran out of print. The original print print run sold out, and so I was waiting for it to come back into print. Finally got it. Got it on the pedigree of the designers and the kind of the concept of the game, which well, is amazing art too. Yeah, building a building a tableau of uh, woodland creatures and, uh, you know, uh, what landscapes, all yep. that type of stuff. Clemens Kaliki, the same person that did Dream Home, comes out with a new game called Meadow. So yep. take it from there. And it just did not hit for us. No. And I don't know that it's a, it's a bad game. I'm not going to say it's a bad game. And it may just be a situation of not meeting my expectations or what I thought it was going to be going into it. It's a little bit more thinky. 
It's a little heavier than I thought it was going to be based on the theme and subject matter and had a lot of, I think it could be played two different ways. It's something that I'm interested to kind of try out with my family just to see how younger kids approach it. Yeah. Um, but there's areas where it could get pretty thinky and almost work-like trying to make everything come together. Is yeah. that a good description of, of oh, how we kind of left? Like, like I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a it's a terrible game. Nobody should ever buy it. It's not one of those. It's just not what I was expecting. Right. And maybe that taints it a little bit more. Well, and this isn't the only game that I've had this happen to in the last year. But I think recently. I talked about when a game misses and the game was highly recommended from a reviewer or two, then I know how that reviewer or two uh, reviews games and I see the lens that they review games through. And for me, Metal was not a hit and it was definitely on my want to playlist for this year and last year. I was very excited to get to the table. Dream Home gets more play in our house than probably any other game total over the yeah. last two years because multiple people like playing it and it just didn't have that same sort of uh fun factor that dream home had in terms yeah. of feeling like work it it it, it did it, it wasn't quite like oh i have to do this pivot table and make sure the numbers tie out but it wasn't the fun that i've had with other games that meet our stringent criteria yeah it kind of it kind of bridged that that I think you're right on the fun part. It didn't didn't accentuate the fun and that that fun level. We've talked a little bit off here about the the fun level being a part of family games. Yep. You know, and certainly game schooler games. It's got to be a level of fun. If it feels too much like work, if it's too thinky, you're not going to get non gamers around the table to play it. You know, it's it's just going to sink like a rock. You know, so. I think that's the expression, right? Sink like a rock. Sink like a rock. You got that one right. Yeah. <laughs> the the other thing that I'm starting to stumble into, and I could be completely wrong, but with a lot of the games that we review, the scoring is very straightforward. And the combos, you know, that comboing that I talked about with Summer Camp, it's clear to the gamers. If you do this, then you will get that. In, in, in Meadow, I just felt like there were way too many scoring options, and I wasn't able to track all of it. Um, so... Uh, that's that's my take on that one. All right, so I just wanted to give a uh, kind of a follow up because I know we we had hyped up that we were excited that that was going to be getting to the table, and I don't and, think and it will make our recommended list. Probably not, not unless uh, our families have a very different experience than we did. Anything else did you play this week? Uh, no, those those are my big three. All right, well, I hate to end on a downer. Is there something we can do to liven this up a little bit? Do you want to talk about, did we ever talk about Ink and Gold? Get after it, man. We, Bring we, that up, a man of surprises. <laughs> so we, I've got a list here on my, my run sheet of the games that I've acquired, which then go to acquired, not played, and then the games that we played. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a very large game day, so a lot yeah, of things got played. A lot of things so got I, played. So I, I put them all in a list so we wouldn't... Um, Lose Just track about of them. them. Well, then tell our listeners about Ink and Gold so they know what it is. I don't believe that that version that we played is readily available. So if Are you, you know, sure? I'm not I, sure. I feel like it but is. But I feel like I'm 48 hours into procuring games, so that one would be on my list. If you could find it, let me know. Um, so, 
Go ahead. No, you take it. No, you go. I'm looking availability. Inca Gold is a game where you are pressing your luck from go. There are, um, you know, Doug, I played it all of one time. So on this game where we review board games, maybe <laughs> you should give the description. It is available. Where at? Uh, the Big A, $26. Uh, oh, that's why I didn't see it. Go ahead. Um, that's Amazon for our new <laughs> listeners. So... So Ink and Gold is a simple game in which everybody so simple I can't has, describe it has two cards. Yeah, you have two cards to either leave the, the um, temple, cave. Yeah, the temple. cave or the temple, or to keep going. And everybody's making that decision simultaneously. And then whoever stays in, you flip over the next card. It can either be treasure, which is then divided um divided among the players equally or as equally as possible. Anything left over gets left on the path. Or it can be a hazard. Yeah. If it's one hazard, no big deal. There are five different hazard types. And if a second hazard of the same type comes out, the the players bust if you're still in the cave or in the in the temple. If you happen to leave and there's treasure on the, the ground, you pick that up and go. When you leave your treasure is secure. You take everything that you found. If you stay in there and that second hazard comes out and you're scared, you drop all of your treasure and run out and you don't bank any of it that you collected while you were in there. Yeah. And so it becomes this push your luck. And then there's a, there's also like artifacts that only one person can pick up if they leave. So there's one that, that just comes out and it sits there. And everybody's kind of waiting of like how and well the tension builds and and then two people go builds. out at once and like you oh. rascal because now neither of us is going to get that artifact. Is that what you say? You yeah, rascal? Pretty much. Wow, yeah. we are super family friendly yeah. on the Game Schooler podcast. You <laughs> rascal! I wanted that gold. My my initial uh, <laughs> verbiage would not have <laughs> yeah. sufficed. We would have got um, flagged for that one. <laughs> um, so that's the the whole game and. You know, everybody is... It's a betting game. Yeah. With, just, I'm staying in the cave or I'm coming out of the cave. And So if you want to talk about, you know, one of our, our things is risk management and, and certainly push your luck games. And fast pace. Is is in that, that, uh, though that genre and that skill go hand in hand, push your luck yeah. and risk management. That this game is a one skill pony, that's all it's doing. Just straight risk management, you know. And <laughs> uh, but it is so fun, and I think it plays up to like six players. Oh, eight! It well, plays up to eight players. So yeah. And one of the the designer is Alan R. Moon from Ticket to Ride, and Bruno Faduti. And Bruno Faduti is uh, known for kind of having the wild mix-up hijinks. He's, yeah likes to throw that type of stuff into games so and that has it in an abundance i i'm i am surprised that you were trying to push into the next segment without asking me if i bought any games lately <laughs> no bring it i, bring I, it out, I, I wanted to thank our listeners for not beating me to the sale on campaign trail mm. it did arrive this week uh very excited about that one and i i am anticipating the next time there's an election we will probably have a school of gaming topic around that one so <laughs> got campaign trail and then just so based, a couple months yeah right based on your enthusiasm i did pick up long shot the dice game last night found a sweet deal for our north american listeners 
uh, Barnes and Noble is a store that sells not. It's not just books anymore. It used to be books and coffee. Now they have now nooks. it's like Toys R Us meets a bookstore. <laughs> uh, my I could not get my kids out of there. I was in there for an hour and a half. I yeah. could not get my kids out of Barnes and Noble. They had American Girl doll. They had Welly Wisher. They had all these little STEM kits. They had all this, and I was like, I just want to go see the board games, guys. I just want to go see the board games. But anyway, here's my my trick to our listeners. Not a trick, but. You get 20% off for being an educator. And, and and note to self, I didn't have to show any type of education ID. I just had to tell them I was an educator. So 20% off on top of a nice little deal, uh, just for all of you educators that are out there, you probably already know this because teachers talk and teachers know where the deals are. And teachers like books. The teachers love <laughs> books, books and coffee, and now board games and music and all the other stuff that Barnes & Noble has. Um, it's 20% off there. And mm. then the deals stack. So if a game is 30% off, you're going to get 20% off on top of that. Mm. So a little uh, pro tip to extend this here. Unfortunately, I don't think running this podcast counts. I think and you were doing an educational quali- qualifies service. Qualifies me as an I educator. I think you were doing an educational <laughs> service. I would make that stretch. I'll allow it. Okay. So, uh, In Doug Kotecki fashion, he'll that, allow it. <laughs> that is the game I'm looking forward to playing this week. Uh, we're going to get some Princess Bride and some Long Shot the Dice game in this week. All right. Well, if you have any questions or comments, anything you want to follow up with us, uh, reach out to us. You can reach us email at gameschooler.com. Our website, gameschooler.com, has got a contact form. You can reach us there and Twitter and Facebook at GameschoolerU. Now, let's move on to that recommended game of the week. The Recommended Game of the Week. The Recommended Game of the Week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, or at least your friend's collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Dragon's Breath by Haba Games. Doug, give us the stats. All right, published in 2017, the designers are Gunter and Lena Burkhart. Great umlaut, Doug. Thank you. The designer is Daniel Dobner. Two to four players. The fifth. art. What's that? Sorry, I'm jamming up your stats. The artist. Go ahead. Go what ahead. did I say? Designer. Designer again? Oh, sorry. The art is by Daniel Dobner. Two to four players, 15 to 20 minutes, ages five and up, and it was a 2018 Kinderspiel des Jahres winner. That is the German Game of the Year for Children, the most prestigious board game award there is. The description on one of their expeditions, the four dragon children discover an unusual spark, unusual sparkling treasure, a column of ice with sparkling stones frozen inside it. <sighs> They want to take the treasure back to their cave, but unfortunately, the column of ice is too heavy. The only thing they can do is melt it, but breathing fire isn't as easy as it sounds. Then the four of them have an idea. They'll get their dad to help. And it works. Dad's fire breathing starts melting the column, and little by little, the sparkling stones falling start falling out. The dragon children quickly collect the valuable treasures and take them back to their cave. Which dragon child will collect the most sparkling stones in their cave by the end of the game? So that is the flowery text of the game. Yeah, this and is how the, not a metaphor. These are actual dragons. Yeah. This isn't some dad in sweatpants with bad morning <laughs> breath who's like just doesn't want to make pancakes. This you are actual dragons in the game. Well, let's not confuse people. There are not actual <laughs> dragons in the game. No. That would be amazing. No, there are four <laughs> tiny real life dragons in the game. 
<laughs> but keep them away from flammables. Yes. <clears throat> so in the game Dragon's Breath, you're actually not breathing on anything. In mm. fact, in the center of the game, bo- you use the game box as part of the game. And it has a ring. And essentially, if you think about shower rings stacked up on top of each other, they're little blue translucent shower rings. And in there, you put a whole bunch of plastic gems. Then whoever has the dragon dad Mm -hmm. uh, game piece is going to be the one that's going to take the top ring off. However, all the other players get to pick before him or that player which color stones they think are going to fall out when that top ring is pulled. When the top ring gets pulled off, you take any stones that match the one that you picked out, the color, and you put them inside. There's like these little uh, cardboard pieces that cover up a corner of the game box that then you put your gems in behind it, and it stores them there out of sight for the entire game. Which is awesome. And then you keep going around until... The stack of of shower rings uh, are removed. Are yeah. removed, and that is it. And it's very exciting. The person that's pulling off that ring can either do it as slow as they want, as fast as they want, and all those type of things kind of change how many are coming out mm-hmm. every turn. Is that you know? It's you you select the sparkling stone tile, you lift the ice ring, and then you divide up the star, sparkling. Sp- Stones, yeah. sparkling stones, depending on which ones fall out. And there are three or four little holes in the game board or in the game Where box. Where they can fall into. They can fall into, yep. and those are the ones that, quote, dad gets. Right. Um, so that's how the game plays. I mean, right off the bat, the artwork and components, the way that they use the box, which is... Awesome. You know, that's kind of what Haba does really well. Yeah. But this production value is really good for... The type of game that it is. So about a month ago, you let me borrow your copy and also um, outfoxed so that yeah. I could play both of those games with my kids and, and review them. Yeah. We were working smarter, not harder, right? So uh, we played outfoxed and, and loved it, but it, it went a little bit long because I had to teach it. And I thought, I'm not going to do this second game on a Sunday afternoon with my six-year-old, right? I'll get punched in the jaw. And then by her, but yeah, by Eliza. Okay. <laughs> and then Eliza saw the game and she goes, Oh, what's that, Daddy? And we just set it up. That's all that we did. We we stacked it up and set the gems. And right away it was so intuitive to play. Yeah. That as I'm kind of muttering the instructions, she just grabs a ring off. And then and and we just played it right there. There is you know, when we talk about a toy factor, this is kind of a, a step beyond that because I think for kiddos who are in that four to six, even seven range, there's also a little bit of an actual game to it. So if you're yeah. playing games with kids and this one hits the table, uh, it's targeted to them. It's yeah. not targeted to a 40-year-old dude. It's targeted to a four to seven-year-old kid. And I think that that is an awesome um part of the game yeah but you know what's really cool about this game is i think this is one that i enjoy playing just as much as the kids i, I agree 100 percent. you know it's not and and quite frankly i think if you had a bunch of 40 year old people playing this game it could get 
pretty feisty. Yeah, especially if you put money value on yeah. the gems. <laughs> Holy cow! I mean, not it, that anyone, not to promote gambling. On no, the game's no, but it, it would be fun. There's a lot of ways you could take this game. But I like that it's a game that I can play with my kids, and especially with that variable turn order with who's getting to pick which gems come out or, yeah. or they think are going to fall off first. That rotates all the time. I feel like this is a game that not only do I enjoy playing with my kids, but I don't have to nerf myself. I can play you can go full, hard. full blow, yeah. play the game just like they are, and let the chips fall where they may, and nobody's going to get boo-boo face out of it. Right, right. You know, so I really like that. I think that's rare for a kid's game, that, or, or certainly a game that starts at 5 and up. To have that ability that I can enjoy that with my kids and not feel like, oh, we're going to play that. I think that. that's one of the reasons why it's a recommended game. Yeah. You know, if you look at our, our list of recommended games over the first 68 and, and knowing what's coming in the next uh, 10 episodes or so, or a handful of episodes at least, this is one of the youngest, if not the youngest game that we've ever recommended. Yeah. But it's still a game where, regardless of your age, you are going to have fun for those reasons. And... And there's a cleverness to how everything fits in the box. And when you get down to that last ring. Yeah, the ice flow, I think y- they call it. Yeah, the, w- once that is removed, whatever's left on the iceberg, or what'd you call it, the ice the, flow? The ice flow, yeah. Nobody gets. Yeah. So there's a little bit of math at the end of, well, am I in the lead? Do I want anyone to get those? Or am I just going to rip this thing off and see where all these gems go? Uh, the gems are really pr- pretty, and, yeah. and, and it, it's a fun game. And how did that work? Like, were the colors good for you? or that? No, that was a challenge, but that's where... So if I would have played it with my 13-year-old, they would have just made fun of me the whole time. But by playing it with my 6-year-old, they were... Uh, Eliza, she's so good about that. Um, she doesn't quite understand the color blindness. It's, uh, oh, I'm going to help you here, Dad. No, that one's yours. Um, by the second or third game, I, I had it figured out from the, yeah. the green and the orange. Uh, I, I didn't the first game, and I think yeah. I lost out a few. But the One of the other things I like about this is the rule book has uh, age modifications in the rule book and different things that you can do. I didn't even notice that. So you can uh, you can cover up the... The, some of the holes in the center of the board Ooh. if you want to you can have it so you pick a color at the start of the game and that's your color for the whole game you can do uh where you don't reveal which gem you picked until you start dividing them up yeah. so nobody knows oh i've got the green one so you know that type of thing so there's a lot of very variety in the rule book and I think it's probably a pretty good, uh, pretty easy game to modify yourself. Figure with, out a way to make it work with people with you're your parents with. and or with your kids if you're a parent and mixing it up and doing those type of things. Or that with your parents if you're a parent. I, I yeah, think you said that yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, if you're a parent and you're playing with your parents, your 80 year old parents, then you might need to nerf the game a little bit. Um, so I think that flexibility is kind of cool that the system is there to be modified. Right. Uh, which works really well. Uh, and it's an easy teach. We already talked about that. The the way that the box and the gem design, the way that you get your little storage compartments, and then when the game's over, you lift that, that top board off and everybody scoops their gems out of their little compartment is awesome. Um, anything else? 
No, I just think eh, we'll talk about it in the scales. Uh, the last endorsement, I don't know if this can be a more of a glowing endorsement. Uh, you know, I talked about being in Barnes & Noble last night, and we were at a, a friendly local game store two weeks ago, and both times when um, Eliza saw this game, I mean, she runs over to it right away and shows it to me almost like, Daddy, can, Dad, are we going to take this one home today? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's a game that definitely has replayability. Just when, when I see my six-year-old running in a store to get it and to say, hey, we really need to add this to our collection, um, that that's as, as good of an endorsement as I can give. Yeah, and at 15 minutes. Five minutes it, per player is what we clocked it out to be. Yeah, it's yeah. not overstaying its welcome by any means. Oh, no. So if, if you're playing with two, I mean, it, it can be 10 minutes. But we in our house, we, we and we played a lot of it in about yeah. a three-day stretch, and it was about five minutes per player. Well, and... So we're going to move on to the the skills every week with our recommended game. We Michael and I make a list of of skills that we think your kids can learn from playing a game like this. And probably on the surface, this probably doesn't seem like a game that would have a ton of skills because it's so simple. And I, I struggled to narrow it down. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a lot of different ways, and I think that comes down to the idea of you're playing with younger gamers, so a lot of these. Um, skills are on the the rudimentary level. They're the intro to some of these concepts that we talk about on a weekly basis, which I think is why it opens it up for so many. Because it's like, well, you're learning a little bit of that. You're learning a little bit of that. So, without further ado, and, and the time factor, the uh, what like we've talked about. There's so much packed into a game that's five minutes per player. The skills just evolve in a different way because of the time and the age of the gamers, right? Yeah. All right, what do you got, Michael? My core skill is concentration, a game that encourages a student to focus their attention or efforts on a task. In this game, your gamer is going to have to focus on removing the ring. And to see the look on a kid's face uh, when they are removing that ring and, and almost just looking around to see, well, did they get a lot of gems the last turn? How can I get the most gems this turn? There's a different level of focus and concentration in this game on that singular task. Um, and, and it's in other ways as well when you're drafting the gem that you want to select. But that's the big one as that ring is being removed. Those young gamers, man, they are locked in on that activity. Yeah, yep. The I've got two core skills. The first one I've got is observation a game that rewards uh, careful watching with attention to details and behaviors in order to understand or arrive at a judgment, which then leads in decision-making, a game that allows students to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. Watching which gems are close to the edge, it's almost like that one uh, arcade game with the coins on the ledge, you know, oh, where you drop yeah. a coin in and it keeps the getting sweeper. closer. Yeah, yeah. and... And it reminds me of that where you're thinking, like, I think that one's getting pretty close to falling off. And you're trying to observe and watch. Like, you really have to look at how that is is structured. And a lot of—it's kind of funny. I've got five skills, but I think almost all of them revolve around—I mean, it's a one-concept game. Yeah. But they all revolve around that idea of how you're manipulating, looking, analyzing, and studying that main core mechanism of— in this case, what looks like it's going to fall off. Yeah. And then making a decision whether that's 
the the stone that you're going to pick, what color, or geez, they just took the one that I wanted. What's the next one? Is it you know? It's you. A lot of times, it's not hard to pick the one that you think the most are going to fall. It's when you have that third or fourth pick, and you're like, eh, we could go either way. And, yeah. And and sometimes I don't you get put a surprised. whole lot of thought. If I'm if I'm not picking first or second when I played this game, it was <laughs> I'll take whatever ones there. To me, it seemed randomness but from a kid's point of view. Absolutely. The the other thing with that um, observation is you talked about in other games previously, we've talked about you have to have the device off, don't have a game on in the background, this, that, the other thing. I don't care what's going on around you. This game just pulls people right in. At least it did in our household. And yeah. you've been in our house, Doug. Our house is fairly chaotic. I mean, we've got dogs and birds and a lot of different humans <laughs> running around and feral neighborhood children sometimes as well. <laughs> and None of that matters yeah. because the game goes so quickly and each turn people are, I just felt really pulled right to the center of the table as the ring was coming out and the yeah. gems were scattering. That's yeah. a, that's a good core skill. All right. What else you got? I've got balance and I don't think I've ever had balance in a recommended game of the week before a game that strengthens a student's capability to keep or put something in steady position to prevent falling. Just a great little fine motor um, game where you are having, and not just for the little kids. I mean, you have to have a steady hand to go in there and move the ring, but sometimes do you you want to remove the ring fast and have some chaos or really slow and just have the gems topple out how you're hoping, but then there's that whole chaos too where you you don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. I think the balance and then precision is the other one, a game that rewards students for being exact and accurate with fine motor skills. That one's a little bit more of a stretch. I don't, I just haven't ever talked about it because we yeah. don't do a ton of dexterity games. We haven't reviewed Crokinole yet. Yeah. Um, so those, those were two skills that, that are in, in this game. Yeah. And I put that as well. I put balance. You had balance, uh, yeah, but and I put dexterity on there because our both of yeah. our de- definitions don't really apply exactly how the game is, where this is a decision of how you want to be. Do you want to be delicate and hope that only one or two gems fall out? Yeah, you or know, aggressive I've, and empty I've those seen, gems. Yeah, I've yeah. seen both of those, and so you know, in our our base definition, the idea to keep or put something in a steady position. Sometimes it's the opposite of that. And it's completely viable in this game. To and put the gems in a precarious position. I'm yes. improving in that skill. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've got that one as well. Um, next Good. one. Next one I've got is risk management. Game oh, I, which, didn't, I didn't put that on the list. No, it's a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize option to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risk. Hmm. Again, this goes back down to that decision of, of gentle or reckless Along with drafting the idea of drafting the, the, yeah. the, the tiles in the beginning to say, I think that the red is going to be, you know, the most red gems are going to fall out. And and kind of doing that, you know, it's it's not how you would think of risk management in some of the other games that we've talked about. We're yeah. talking about a game for five-year-olds. So it's a very different level of risk management. But even just that decision of, if this and that type of conversation on the risk management is happening well, internally. And my right? next skill ties in nicely with that. Yep, I have responsiveness, a game that tests a student's mental reaction time. And I went back and forth between comprehension and responsiveness. I, I settled on responsiveness because 
when when selecting a gem, it is there, there's a little bit of comprehending going on, but it's more of a reaction. It's oh, are they red? They're red, right? Are they pink? Yeah, they're red. Yeah. Oh, I, I see more red ones on the top. I'm gonna, I'm gonna select that one, and and th- at least that's how it played out in, in our household with, with kiddos and, and adults. You know, yeah. it was just almost like a response. I'm going to get this gem. That's what's going to be left. Um, in in a in a different way, so, somewhat similar to like a if you're playing sushi go with really young kiddos, how? But that that's more of a comprehension. This was truly a, a re response yeah. from seeing the pile of gems. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a quick thinking type yeah. of thing as opposed to a a comprehension and understanding the concepts. Um, last one I have, and I there's a couple of honor before the, some honorable mentions, like you can talk about confidence in this game. That's my fifth skill. Oh, okay. No, Sorry. you're good. Go ahead. Um, talk about confidence. I don't have confidence. A I game that promotes serving, yeah. and increases a student's trust or a gamer's trust in their abilities and qualities. Yeah. You get better at this game, the more you play it. And well, I saw that from the first game that I played with, with my little Eliza to, you know, two days later when we're on like game eight and she's teaching it to her mother, you could just see the confidence and, oh, then this goes there and that goes there. No, no, no. You wait till the end of the game and then you count up your gems to see if you won. And seeing that happen in action, I, I can say that it's a game where you are going to get more confident the more that you play it, um, which well, is pretty cool for, for a six-year-old to see that in that short period of time. Yeah, well, and I also think there's the, the kind of offshoot of that confidence is like the pride of – Yes, I did. Mm. I did good. You know, yeah. when you get got a lot, gems. Of, got your gems. And the the flip side of that, there's resilience in this game too. And I've had some kids where it's like, you know, a lot of times that that first stone tile that you pick of which gems are going to fall out is very quick to go because you can see all of them that are teetering on the edge. Yeah. And sometimes my kids are like. Oh, I wanted that one as if it was going to last, you know, and you also have a little bit of resilience that pops up where somebody takes the the ice ring off and only one of their gems falls out, you know. And so there's a little bit of sadness, but the game is so exciting and fast that they get over it. And that I think is just the, the best teaching tool for resilience is. Little, so is that your fifth effect. skill? No, or my, that's honorable mention. No, those are honorable mentions. My fifth is spatial perception, a game that oh, strengthens yeah. a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with objects in their environment and themselves. When you're making that decision, you're, you're seeing which ones are teetering, which ones are are yeah. potential to fall off, and it's a you know a lot of times when we talk about spatial perception, you think about that idea of of a map, map. or where things are Spacing, located. Yeah, but this Organizing. is which gems are teetering on the edge is spatial perception. Which ones do you think are going to fall I didn't off? Even think of that. That's so, really good. So this one is is loaded with skills at for, that age level for a game Absolutely. for five year olds, which yeah. is is kind of remarkable. So anything else before we close that one out? Yeah, I, I lost my thought. I had it. Um, Nope, I guess I will come back to it probably in the middle of next segment. There was something that I wanted to ask you, but I wanted to wait till the end of the segment, and I didn't write it down in the run sheet here. <laughs> All right, well, that is our recommended game of the week. I'm going to draw this out so Michael can remember, possibly. Our recommended game of the week was Dragon's Breath, the 2018 <sighs> Kinderspiel des Jahres winner from Haba, Dragon's Breath. I lost it. It's a good game. <laughs> The school 
of gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing what people think when they hear educational games. He's using air quotes, folks. Around educational <laughs> games. Good inflection, too. Educational yes. games. So the Dice Tower, during their Spring Spectacular, did the top 10 games for In the Classroom. They did, yep. And Three different reviewers, Mike and Z and Tom, all had a list of 10. And I think it was, for the most part, a quality list. There were some that I, I think were real head scratchers when it it comes to where we're coming from in the gaming. Yeah, just looking through a different lens. You know, that the idea of, of some games being way too complicated, you're not going to fit those into a classroom period. Who, you know, some of those type of things. Overall, though, I think the games that they picked out are the type of games that people think about when they think about the crossover of tabletop, you know, popular tabletop games and educational games. The the issue that we have with that is that they people tend to focus on subjects. Subjects, yeah. You know, so this is a great thing for subjects. So one of the things that uh, was highly rated, I think it was on everybody's list, and even their people's choice was Freedom the Underground Railroad, right. which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Great game for teaching the subject, and certainly there's skills involved in that. But as we talked about in the School of Gaming, I, I don't know how that fully fits into a classroom. Right, because of the time and the, the complexity. I mean, if you're going to play that in an AP U.S. history class, are you really going to be able to take a week out of your curriculum to play that game? Because that's yeah. what's going to take to play the game. You know, and so we've and we talked about this when we were very first starting the podcast and, and just brainstorming ideas and things like that. And the idea of of skills missing the boat and, and the idea of, you know, Ticket to Ride is about trains, but it doesn't necessarily treat, teach you anything about train travel yeah or the history of trains i mean maybe the the no you know you can doesn't. learn geography on a subject level but people tend to focus on the subject level of education when they think about educational games yeah but but even that all right you're going to learn geography from playing ticket to ride the same way that a kid learns geography by sitting and staring at a map that that to to me that is not learning geography. When you get into Ticket to Ride, there are other skills that you're going to develop. And I think most people do associate educational games and fitting them in with subjects because that's that's how it's been framed. Yeah. Going through school and that's a lot of people's school experience. And what we're trying to do is build an entire concept around associating the game with skill development instead of fitting into a specific subject-driven classroom. Yeah, and that's that's the hard part, right? Is that everybody, that's, that's how we all are, Trained. Most, most of us learned is subject, subject, subject. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will push back. I think Ticket to Ride will teach you geography in the regard of awareness of where things are on a map. If you're playing Ticket to Ride and you you are going to end up knowing where you and I are going to get in a brawl here on this one. No, <laughs> think about that because I feel like I can play Ticket to Ride Europe and I have a better idea of where European cities are compared to not. As an adult, yes. 
Yeah, but how is that As any different a child, from a kid? Because because a kid's brain is different than an adult's brain. A kid's formation and association with concepts and schema is different than an adult's. So you don't I, think that they're going to learn that Los no. Angeles is on the left side of the United States by playing Ticket to Ride? Not just by playing Ticket to Ride. I think they will learn that by staring at a map. And I just went through this experience with with... I had a kid who had a, a sick day, and in my office, I have a big map on the wall of the United States. I don't know if you've ever been down there, but just a big old map from the U.S. Census, right? And my, my nine-year-old is over there just staring at the map because she's bored out of her mind because she's had a sick day with dad and just sputtering off random odd facts the same way that she would if she were staring at the Ticket to Ride game board. Yeah, but the but you're not but you're interact. I think the the difference is the interaction and that you're doing something. Like I can look at a map and say, "Oh, that's where Indiana is." But the 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 comprehension and the the long-term comprehension of that is I mean, I've looked at thousands of maps, but I do yeah. have a better idea of where things are located if you're interacting with those things and you're saying, "I have to make a delivery." To New York. Saying in a different way and being trying to be succinct, if I walk by somebody's classroom and they're playing Ticket to Ride to teach geography, I that teacher will be on a plan of improvement so fast because how how are you really teaching geography with Ticket to Ride? And at what well, level and what age? But, so, I think, but I think we're getting... But I think that is the, the crux of, of the, the situation. I don't think somebody is going to learn... Ge- they're not going to pick up Ticket to Ride... And learn geography straight from the game and nothing else. And yeah. we've talked about this in the past. Games on a subject level, to me, are an enhancement. If you're already working on you know, state geography or the United States and where states are located and cities and things like that, a game like Ticket to Ride is great at enhancing what you're already doing in the classroom. Yeah. And that's what most of these subject things are. Even a game like Periodic, which came up in the the that top 10 list. Saw it in Barnes & Noble last night. Is a great game. It's not teaching you directly. Now, that one I would argue the opposite, but we No, should. but it's not. It's You cannot give somebody the game ticket, the thing, and then it's like, well, you know the whole Periodic table. No, but if you're it's, going. It, it enhances what you're doing in the classroom. You're not, and if you, and if you're making the argument that they're going to learn the location of things on the the periodic table, because of that game, you are counteracting the exact same thing that you said about ticket trade. I was just going to use the same argument against you. You just had the microphone and beat me to it. If you're going to say that students are learning geography from playing ticket to ride, then how can you say that students aren't learning the periodic table from playing periodic? I think that they are on the regard of. I don't think in the same way that I just said that Ticket to Ride, you're not learning it from a zero basis. Mm-hmm. It's used, you're learning it, it's enhancing your knowledge of that. The same way that I think Periodic Table is enhancing what you've already learned in the classroom. You're not just going to start from zero, give somebody Periodic and say, wash your hands and say, you've learned the Periodic Table, I bless you, you are done. Well, thank you for that, Doug. I appreciate that. Can I ask you a question? Yes. (laughs) What do you think people think of when they hear educational games? I think they think that educational games suck. Yes. (laughs) And let's talk about other associations. I think rectangle box stuffed in a closet of a teacher's room that's played on Thursdays or Fridays in the third quarter of the year after state testing has been done. 
You know what I mean? I I think of... Indoor recess. I think of every modified version of bingo. Mm. It's like teachers just applying the generic, like, shoots and ladders, bingo, generic, 100-year-old games, and then just replacing the cards with, oh, you landed on Independence Day. Like, whatever subject you happen to be doing is you just shove that into a game that everybody knows. All right, so if we were to flash forward 10 years from now, and people are talking about best educational games. So in the year 2032, <laughs> what would you hope people would think of? What type of change or difference are you hoping to make in the, the next decade? I think that idea of games, of enhancing the subjects that you're learning, but primarily thinking about the idea of games that are teaching your kids skills that are impossible to teach without experience. You know, that that concept of you learn skills by doing, not by, you know, I can learn how to, somebody can tell me how to dribble a basketball and dribble it through my legs. It doesn't matter how many times they tell me or how many videos I watch, unless I actually do it and try it, I will never learn that skill. Yep. And that's what I think a lot of, those skills are the things that board games are awesome at is teaching those skills that require experience, safe space to experience, have experiences develop and potentially fail with no consequences. You know, you're talking about economic games where you're spending money. You're talking about summer camp earlier with your daughter and saying, okay, she's learning how to manage that money. Yeah. If she makes a bad purchase, oh, well, it's not, you know, you ready for this? Yeah, bring I remember it. my my uh, dragon's breath example, and here here's what I realized. <laughs> he called this shot. Yep, boom. Um, I better start talking, or I'm going to forget it again. The thing that I realized when I play that game, and the question that I wanted to ask you, and I I know I am a hyper competitive individual. Borderline people don't want to be around me playing a lot of other game games, right? And I think you're probably pretty competitive too. The little that I know you. Do you even care about the score at the end of playing Dragon's Breath or even take a summer camp? At the end, yeah, you count up your score and you tell everyone who got it, yeah, we kind of won. But the end outcome with a lot of the games that we talk about and we review isn't actually that important. And that's something that I think that schools are often striving for now with that growth mindset and getting better and repetition and embracing failure and learning new skills. And that's just a very different way of when we were, when we were brought up, but when I grew up, it, you, it was win at all cost and everyone got a ribbon. Yeah. So you wanted to win, but no matter what, you were going to get a ribbon, like 12th place ribbon. Well, that off orange, remember like that sherbet orange 12th brown. place? So why if am I get, if, oh, maybe it was brown to me. It looks sherbet orange. If you're getting I can't a brown take a 12th place ribbon home. If you're getting a brown ribbon, you didn't win. And what I think a lot of the games that we talk about, and that's why I want to ask you with Dragon's Breath, the 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 outcome, I mean, it, it's not super critical. It's real and that I think strengthens what we're talking about with educational games and skill development. It's not just about who had the most points, had the most fun. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's the missing that's the missing link, right? Is the fun. The the funner, the more fun the game is. Funner. The more the more fun the game is. Um that 
that competitiveness is lessened. And maybe that's part of the thing or it's with personalized. It's just internalized. It's not so much overt. And, and, and maybe that's a thing of like with Meadow, it became kind of cutthroat fast. Yeah, it was because least funner. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's a game in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. I think those two things go hand in hand. Is fun and and certainly when I think of educational games, I don't think fun. No, you know. So that's. That's one of the things, but I, I think more collaborative. That that's the other thing. When when I think educational games, I think I am on my own to solve a complex riddle. Well, it, I I am in the movie. I am in a Batman movie going against a Riddler here. I have to solve this now. I feel like it, the other thing, like with that in educational games, is almost this concept of it's like test replacement. Mm. You know, a lot of times like. You succeed if you know more. Yeah. If you studied harder. Well, test prep. Yeah. You know, certainly that, test prep. Yeah. That type of thing, which then adds that competitive element. And like you said, it's it's me amongst myself to to compete. So Well, this is our annual check-in on educational games. Uh, we did this <laughs> at the beginning. We we probably will do this about once a year. We'll circle back to it and hopefully you know, if we make just a, a little bit of improvement, a little bit of a dent, and as we start to bring teachers on as guests and other people, and, and we'd love to hear from you, um, push us on this too. If you have an educational game that you love that teaches a skill or a concept and you use it all the time, let us know. Because if you have an educational game that doesn't suck, please prove us wrong on this. Uh, we we feel very confident about this segment <laughs> and what we're saying so we'd love to hear the opposite yeah so that is the school of gaming um and hopefully we've clarified what we think about when we hear educational games if you're anything like us you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out this week, we reveal our personal high-five list of family-friendly dice placement games. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about worker placement games. This is that same concept, except you're using dice instead of workers. And I'm really glad that you talked about personal, because some of these games that I have on my list, they just don't fit in a classroom setting, and I don't mm -hmm. know how applicable they are for game schooling, but in terms of dice worker placement i feel like i have five really good games yeah and there's a one i left off i'm pretty sure it's not on your list which is alien frontiers because you have not played it correct but, uh, and that was an original um one of the first big kickstarted mm. board games was alien frontiers so the concept applies with with this where we're talking about worker placement you place a dice out usually on a space, and in this case, the value of the dice would indicate either how powerful or what you get to do with that dice yeah. for the action space triggers, that you're putting yeah. on. You're putting an it action. On. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but usually, the number, the the value of the dice is is some sort of modifier or manipulator, yeah. or, or just determines where you can put that die, uh, that worker. Essentially. Well, and it should become clear as we talk about our games here. All right, what do you got? Number five. Number five for me is Dice Hospital. 2018 designers are Stan Kordonsky and Mike Nudd, published by Alley Cat Games. One to four players. The community says it plays best at three. 45 to 90 minutes. Ages 10 plus. The weight on this is a 2.3 out of 5. Reminder, a 1 out of 5 is like bingo or patty cake. 
and at a five out of five, your brain will melt. So this one's right in the middle at a 2.3. And in Dice Hospital, patients are entering the hospital and leaving the hospital. Hopefully, they're being treated and leave alive. You are placing your dice in rooms of your personal hospital. Tiles are being drafted that make up the different rooms. And both dice and rooms are being drafted. I really like how... Uh, it builds out with the the what am I trying to say the he- hexagonal tiles, um, hexagonal hexagonal. There you go, making up words over here on the Game Schooler podcast. Don't and, worry, it's uh, funner. It's funner to do that. Funner to do that. Least fun. But I, I really like Dice Hospital. This is one that I bought from you, so I'm fairly confident it won't be on your <laughs> list. But it's one that has gotten a lot of play in our house, and we enjoy it. It does take about an hour to play. And uh, there's a little bit of downtime as you're deciding where to place your dice, but they get drafted in an ambulance. We really like the theme in our house, and yeah. it, it, it plays well. Yeah. No, it's a good game. I think the the interaction probably is what hurt that one is kind of a lack thereof where everybody's spending some quiet time yeah. going through and moving patients through their hospital. And I don't mind that. And no, I don't mind it in some games. That's a theme with the games on my list. There, There is that little bit of uh, gamer solid, yeah. solitaire yep. in, in pieces. Yeah. What do you have at five? My number five is Roll Camera, the filmmaking board game. Uh, this was published in 2021 by Keen Bean Studios and Grand Gamers Guild. One to four players, 45 to 90 minutes. This is a cooperative game in which you are trying to make a movie, um, and you're playing dice and using those dice to... Um, build sets to um, put your actors in the right spot, all these different things to shoot scenes, and you're trying to make a movie that is amazing or so bad that it's great. Yeah. So, like, if you make a mediocre film, you lose. But if you make a super terrible movie, you can win or you make an Oscar movie. Yeah. And the way that the theme works in this game, it was uh, created by the designer uh, Malachi Ray Rempen, is a screenwriter. And so there. Malachi is a screenwriter? Apparently, yeah. Oh. And so the way that everything is integrated really makes sense from yeah. a, a thematic filmmaking standpoint. There's a glossary in the back of the rule book that talks about all the film terms. But then there's one thing that you can do that I love in this game, which is. You can set dice aside and call a meeting. Call a meeting for ideas, and everybody pitches their ideas, which are on cards. That the the flavor text and what you're doing with them is hilarious. Yeah, of like, well, we can use duct tape, and so now this scene costs less to shoot. And if you really get into the theme and kind of play up that role playing, everybody gets a. You can be like the director, the star actress. Uh, the the producer that type of thing. Well, each person has a, an a ability, character, a character yeah. that they yeah. get this assigned to them at the beginning of the game. Yeah. yeah, and then there's this funny ability that you can do that has no bearing on the gameplay, but it's like you can yell at whatever you know, tell everybody yeah. places or those type of things. So there's this role playing element to it that I think is really fun if you get in into it with the right group of people yeah so that's roll camera with an exclamation point uh, yep. 2021 release um yeah that's good you might hear a little bit more about that <laughs> a little bit later on that's all right what you got number four number four for me is taverns of Teventhal, 2019 release designed by wolfgang warsh two to four players the community says it's best at two to three players 60 minutes ages 12 plus the weight on this listen to this one folks is 2.7 
um, out of five. So a little bit higher on the complexity from a lot of the games that make my list. But in Taverns of Teventhal, you own a bar. You have a tavern. And you are playing cards and passing dice around the table to try to make the best tavern possible. And as dice come in, you actually flip over components that are on your game board in front of you to try to get enhancements and improvements in your tavern. Um, The dice are being passed, and they are drafted, and then they activate the personnel on your board. I really like this game. I think if I would... If I would have played it more, it might even move up higher on my list. If we were to redo this list in five or six years, I could see this jumping up. I just haven't gotten it to the table as often as I would like. Uh, My family's not quite ready for it yet. And and outside of playing it here at the Game Schooler Studio, I haven't played it a whole lot. So it's one that I own. Same designer that did Quacks of Quedlinburg that we've talked a whole lot about. But that's for me, number four, Taverns of Teventhal is spelled T. E-A-V-E-N-T-H-A-L. Teven Fall. And that is incorrect. If what? you're searching for it on Board Game Geek, it is T-I-E-F-E-N-T-H-A-L. What? Yes. I did a cut and paste, man. <laughs> so again, T-I-E-F-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, A-L. Search for a game by Wolfgang Warch with taverns. <laughs> uh, that's weird. I... I'm not sure if it would have made my list. It certainly, I like it better than some of the games on my list, but I don't, it has worker, it has dice placement. I just don't think of it as that type mm-hmm. of a game. I think of it as a drafting and kind of a deck building game. Yeah. So it doesn't rise to the top. So I don't, that's why I, I kind of missed might my. challenge me on it. And you're right. The spelling on Board Game Geek, boy, I got to do a better job of my cutting and pasting or spell. <laughs> I'm not going to spell that anymore. Taverns of Teventhal, 2019. Thanks for the correction, Doug. <laughs> All right. My number four, I'm assuming, is going to be on Michael's list uh, shortly, if not towards the top. And that's Castles of Burgundy, published in 2011. By Robinsberger, designer Stefan Feld, two to four players, 90 minutes, a 3.0 weight, one of the heaviest ones on my list, but not the heaviest. Mm. Um, in Castles of Burgundy, you're rolling dice, and those dice are determining what you can do as you try and build your, uh, what do they call it in that, uh, fiefdom or uh, your um, uh, your land. You're adding buildings to your land. You're collecting goods is is what's going on in that game and it was one of the first dice worker placement yeah. games in in 2011 not the first because uh, i have one higher on my list that's older but it really struck a chord with people well and, and became it has super stood popular the test of time if you go to board game geek and look at castles of burgundy there are pictures of people i'm, I'm assuming in different parts of the world than where we live but playing this in pubs and you can see them just scratching their head <laughs> and like and just you can see the intensity that this game brings out in people um i own the 2019 release which is i'm still confused by it it's a 10 year anniversary but on the box it says a 20th anniversary but um stefan just a great great game so yeah i'll talk more about it in a little bit all right so that's my number four castles of burgundy Cool. Number three is a game that you own and I have backed on Kickstarter, and I'm hoping it gets delivered sometime in 2022. But the way that things go, who knows? And that is the Artemis Project 2019 designers Daryl Chow and Daniel Rochi, published by Grand Gamers Guild. One to five players, uh, best at three is what it says on Board Game Geek, 60 to 
75 minutes, ages 13 plus with a complexity of 2.81 out of 5. And in Artemis Project, you are on this planet called Europa. And uh, the flavor text on Board Game Geek says, build a base on Europa by fighting for limited resources and avoiding lethal exposure. And I think we talked about this in the last few weeks. It came up on a list. But it's not just if you get to place your dice at a certain spot. It's actually the order in which they are placed matters. Or resolved. Resolved, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the dice are being drafted and then activated on different parts of the board that then trigger other abilities um, for you. It, it, I really love the the art. Doug happens to have the deluxe Kickstarter version, and the metal coins are sweet. Um, it, it's just a fun little game, clean design. Uh, great, great game to play if you have a game group or if you play games consistently in your family. That's my number three, Artemis Project. All right, my number three is the heaviest game on my list, and that is The Voyages of Marco Polo, uh, published in 2015 by Z-Man Games, two to four players, 90 minutes, and it has a 3.19 weight, which is really bizarre because I don't feel like it's that complicated, and I feel like I could teach it fairly easy. But on this in this game, the thing that really makes it cool is you're traveling across Asia as Marco Polo or somebody of comparable stature there's different characters that you can be but the really thing that the thing that makes this cool is that the player powers seem unfair while you're playing the game so they're super powerful they're so powerful like being able to generate a pizza whenever you want and eat it in real time or what what type of power yeah like like back to the future Uh. type of thing no it's like for example the the main crux of the game is you're rolling dice and then placing them out, right? Well, there's one power that's just like you don't have to follow any of the placement rules. Mm. Like, so if a spot's taken, oh well, you can take it. You know, there's one where it's like one, so you feel like you're breaking the game. Yeah, the, another player has where they don't roll the dice; they just set them to whatever they want. And so everybody is around the table like, yours is way more powerful. No, yours is way more powerful. Uh-huh. I wish I had yours. And they just all seem like they should break the game, but they don't. Yeah. And it's one of the few games that I've ever played like that where you're just like, I love my ability, (laughs) you know? And then you're like, I don't think you should be able to do that. That just seems really unfair, you know? And that whole thing while you're playing the game um, for a game that has dice placement that you roll them and it's like, okay, well, this is what I got to work with. What year did that come out? Uh, 2015. Okay. Um, So it's just an awesome game. And I, I... like I said, I'm surprised it's a, it, that weed is that, and it's been a little while since I played it, but I don't ever remember it being like, ooh, this is a brain melter yeah, um, type of thing, but just a, an awesome game, The Voyages of Marco Polo, and that's one that tends to go out of print for extended periods of time and then come back, um, and not in a, not in a like, oh, we don't think it's selling good, it's just like, Oh, they get around to printing it when sure. they print it type of thing. So, Who publishes that one? Z-Man Games. Okay, yeah, you did say that. Cool. So, all right. What do you yeah, got, number, number two? Number two, you mentioned roll camera uh, with an exclamation point. You can check my spelling on that one. <laughs> the filmmaking board game, I think Doug gave all the stats. One thing that I'll say about um, what separates roll camera for me from any other game on the list is that it is cooperative, and I don't think it's possible to alpha game 
and I'm not saying this as an insult to you, Doug, you do not alpha game, but I know that Doug and I have played this game enough and with enough different people where we will have pretty stern disagreements about what should happen (laughs) next. And even though it's a cooperative, you know what? These are my dice, and it's my turn, and I'm going to do it this way. (laughs) And to me, that feels a little bit about what I think the filmmaking industry must be like. I'm speculating because obviously I've never been a part of that. Well, I'm the producer, and this is what I'm doing. You can be the producer, but I'm the director, and it's my turn, and I'm going to do it this way. Use your special ability. (laughs) Yeah, and I, I like the level of conflict in that cooperative game. I've never played a game that is silly and fun and a little bit rude, but it's not crass. Well, it, it really um, pops up in the the pitch meetings. Yeah. And the idea of pitch yeah. meetings, like everybody puts in cards yeah, and you're that's like... That's your idea? I'm throwing I, that one away. And they're like, no, mine, mine's a really good idea. Like, I really think it can help this way. And everybody's yeah. actually pitching. pitching their idea. And then eventually oh. it just comes down to that person's like, oh, I think we're going to do this and I'm that. I'm not going to waste my good idea on your pitch meeting because I know you won't select it anyway. So I'm going to give you my <laughs> crappy card. Yeah. Uh, the the interaction in this game is spectacular, and if you have a family that uh, likes interactive board games, I would just really encourage Roll Camera, um, and it's a game I'm looking to add to my collection when I see it on a sweet enough deal. So that's my number two. All right, my number two, Michael already mentioned, which is the Artemis Project, yes. 2019, the Grand Gamers Guild, one to five players, 75 minutes. This one, the thing I love about this is that dice resolution phase where I can have rolled all sixes, but the ones may activate first. And so I might not get anything yeah, if I, I put anything there. That well, Why, to tell so, our listeners how that works. So for example, there's a, a certain, one of the, the places that you can put dice at gets you resources like stone or something along those lines, moon rocks, I don't know, iron. And you put dice down there. And if I put a one, I go to the front of the line. If you put a one, you're going to go behind me because you play second. If you if I placed a two down there you, and you play a one, you're going to go in front of me. The value of your dice determines how many of those that iron that you're going to take. You get. Yeah. So maybe there's ten out there, and somebody puts down a three, and I, you know, somebody else puts down a four, and I put down a six. I'm only getting the leftover three. Yeah. You know, so the six you're getting is, what's left. You know. Or I can guarantee I'm going to get the, something. The one clears first, right? Yeah. And then the twos and then the threes, yeah. So I can guarantee I'm going to get something, but I'm not going to get much. Yeah. And and we're going around in, in a circle around the table putting the dice out, so it's not like everybody's doing it at the same time. It's like, I'm going to put a four out there, and yeah, maybe they'll last, the, yeah. and nope. maybe I'll get all four, or maybe they'll get bumped down the line. And that that mechanism that is in that game is is pretty cool and not one that I've seen a lot of in a worker placement with dice. And it's been a while since we played it. I'm glad you brought this up because the thing that I remember really enjoying about it is that tension of, I wish I just had one more dice so that I could do one more thing, which a lot of great games do at some point. The Artemis Project does that from the very first turn of the game. It's like, oh, I really need... I need to be able to do more, and it has that little bit of an itchiness in it yeah. from from the jump, in, in a great way, yeah, not in a desperate way, but in a way that makes you want to keep playing and going, right? Yeah, and, and it does a good job of spreading out the value of a lot of games where it's just like, well, a one sucks, and yeah, a no, six one, is awesome. One's going to get you the resource, for it's, sure. It's yeah. different 
the the different areas on the board resolve differently, so it, it makes a difference. So yeah, we need to play that one again. All right, what's your number one, Michael? My number one is Castles of Burgundy. You mentioned it, designer Stefan Feld. Um, you know, published by Ravensburger. There's a new version coming out on uh, GameFound, which I am another tr- one. D- yeah, check that thing out. I am trying not to. Uh, Is it? A, it must be a deluxe version, huh? Super deluxe. Ooh, hello, Talking hello. like uh, ding, 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 ding. There goes board game allowance for three months in a row. Um, but we we talked about it earlier. I just love the. The puzzle of trying to build the little kingdom and getting everything to fit. And it's a game where I always have to be thinking one or two moves ahead. There, um, I, I think it's Tabletop Topia or one of those where Board Game Arena, if you just search Castles of Burgundy, you can play that game for free online. It's not the best way to play it, but if you're looking to to learn the game and, and see what what's this hype been about for the last 10 years and this Stefan Feld guy. I mean, it's it's a real deal game. Um, I'll, I'll be candid. We haven't actually played this in my house yet. People, I just aren't at the point where we've gotten it to the table. Um, I am looking forward to a rain day though, where we can get it out there and play it. That's my number one dice worker placement. I love Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, awesome game. I'm just pulled up the Kickstarter here. Good, <laughs> How about that? Good, thing, good huh? gravy. It's not live yet though. So. It's a, it's going straight to GameFound. I don't think it's going on Kickstarter. Is it? No, I pulled it up on GameFound, but yeah. it says it's a campaign preview. So okay. the the campaign is not launched yet. Yeah. Um, interesting. All right, yeah, no, great game there. Um, my number one is my favorite dice placement game, Sentimentality. It's got that in there. Uh, it's published in 2007, so it's it's got to be one of the first ones, and that is Kingsburg. Mm. And this is what's cool about Kingsburg is there are each round there are nobles on the the, the game board numbered up to 18. So one to 18 and you roll three dice and on your turn, you need to assign those dice, but you can do it individually. You could put all three of them together and add them up. So if you got three sixes, you could put them on the 18. If you can add. Yes. If you can, (laughs) it's a prerequisite or you can put one of them and split it out and put it on the two. But where it gets interesting, you can't split your pips though, right? No, but if I have, if one of my dice has a two, I can put that on the two and then whatever my combination okay, is. Cool. But what what happens is you know what everybody else rolled. Oh. So there's that little thing of like, okay, I can put the two there, but then Michael may be able to put it on the seven, so my other dice are not going to go there. So maybe I need to put it on the seven and hope that I get the two later. And so there's that little bit of thinking of math on how you can block somebody out or maximize your dice. And it's a very uh, obtainable simplified version of it is like, okay, that, if you go to the two, you get a, a gold. You know, if you get to the, the king or the queen, you're getting a whole bunch of stuff. Every three rounds or something like that, there's a, a, a barbarians that come and attack. So you have to be prepared and have enough combat oh. value, which some of the nobles give you combat value. Some of them let you peek at what the incoming barbarians uh, point value is so you have some kind of knowledge going into it of what it's actually going to take to beat them um and so it just really has a lot of interesting concepts but they're simple 
I mean, I've played this with my wife and it was one of the first games that I had mm. that, that really works well. And they've done several different uh, editions of it. Yeah. There's a second edition now. I have the original one. The The ones that come out now include the expansion, which wasn't available. Like oh, I have cool. the expansion. Um, and it was one of those things that's kind of widely regarded as that universally makes the game better. The expansion does. The expansion. Yeah. And so that, that's why it's included now. But I still love the artwork of the original, and I have not liked any of the newer editions that have come out. So that's why that, that original one stays in my collection. And that is my number one, Kingsburg. Yeah, that's that's a great list. I think this is one that we can make again, you know, if we're still kicking it in 100 episodes. And it may change. It may not change. But there's certainly so many different uh, dice worker placement games out there. Yeah, and certainly a genre I enjoy Me too. quite a bit. So that is our dice placement games. And that's going to do it for this week. Uh, I want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, you should be. Come on uh, now. Leave a review. Five star, five star, five star. Thank you. And like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. Reach out to us if you have questions or comments. Email at GameSchooler.com. And again, our website, we've got all our recommended games up there. So if you've missed one in the past, you can go on there. We've got the stats and all that type of stuff. A little bit of a blurb and recommendation. You can find all of the uh, the podcast episode that's related to those games. So, so there's a great resource on that website. Put a lot of time in on that. So check that out if you can. And lastly, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling. 